Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder Podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of History Hack. I am so, so excited. Alex, who have we got on today? This is the most squealy you've been so far, I think. Um, we're thrilled to welcome the lovely Bethany Hughes today. Uh, if you don't know Bethany Hughes, then who are you? Uh, we don't want to know you, certainly. I mean, she's all over your television telling you amazing stuff about the ancient world, the modern world. She's got such a diverse TV CV. Uh, she's also got a fantastic new series coming out about the Odyssey, which we can't wait for. But she thought we all needed a bit of love in the COVID-19 world. So we're going to talk about her last book, which was Venus and Aphrodite, goddesses of love, aren't they? So, Bethany, hello, and thank you for coming to give us some relief from the doom and gloom. Oh, such a pleasure. How nice to have a lovely, lovely voices to be talking to this morning. Though. Really, really nice to chat. Yeah, human contact that aren't relatives. Exactly. People are starting to get really like antsy about that, aren't they? I'd so honestly, I've been working on a, a history of the hug anyway. I just thought it was really interesting what we do with human contact. And oh my God, what are all the hugs going to be like when we're finally released from lockdown? They're just going to go on for about an hour each aren't they so um yeah or do you think we'll go like completely overly british and not know what to do and it'll just be like awkward <laughs> both people people going the same way and like oh i don't know how to do it anymore I'm probably probably all of that too we should all film ourselves i reckon do, do the first five hugs and post them yeah that would be quite funny and it would be all of the ridiculous memes of people queuing not two meters apart and policing each other and complaining yeah. online because someone stood too close to them which my mum yeah. is terrible now for she randomly walked around Saintry this morning screaming at people because they weren't two meters away from her it's now her bugbear um so I can't do this for much longer frankly so hugs would no. be welcome no um, well I do I do a funny thing that the um, I deliver I'm actually delivering medicine to a couple of my friends who are in proper quarantine you know they're 12 weeks because they're, yeah. they're kind of um, vulnerable um and so I'm delivering medicine and prescriptions and food to them on the bike so I have basically become call the midwife <laughs> oh, do you pretend out. you're in call the midwife <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> I did. You know what massively made me so excited? It was unreal. Uh, so now I now have a parking pass as an NHS responder. So when uh, I'm delivering uh, or doing something, I can just put the pass on my windshield that says I'm NHS um, if I need uh, to just park. You're not, like, not supposed to park anywhere stupid and it's only when you're on duty. But I just really love the idea of going, sorry, I'm on call, everybody. Oh, quite right. Quite <laughs> on call. Right. Can't ticket me. Privilege. Quite yeah. Right. I just, I just make me feel like a doctor, which I'm completely not because I didn't even pass biology i don't think uh, but yeah so no it, it's it's interesting isn't it um but let's talk some history uh alina kick us off let's talk about love love and history so obviously aphrodite she's a great goddess uh she has to come first 
but she's isn't the first goddess of love is she where do the greek uh, get the idea from no that's right so i think we say the name aphrodite or venus and we imagine this sort of classical goddess but like almost everything in the classical world um they have much more ancient even prehistoric and often um either eastern or african roots um and if you look at aphrodite she's a really particular case in point so she's kind of part of a family of goddesses that go right the way back um five thousand six thousand years ago um and are very firmly situated in the middle east so she has these kind of great great grandmothers um in particular three goddesses called inanna ishtar and astarte um and these are really feisty creatures so these are these um young teenage goddesses who are the goddesses of love and sex but also war so it's really fascinating and it, and it kind of helps us understand Aphrodite much better that they're basically goddesses of desire of kind of as humans we desire to do things for good and for bad and that can lead us into love making or it can lead us into uh, conflict making and, and the creation of war um, so she has this kind of Middle Eastern um, genetic scene running through her and she also has a, a goddess who was born on Cyprus on the island of Cyprus who's a fertility and nature goddess so she's much older than just the greeks and she's also got a much more interesting pedigree and it gives her a kind of edge which carries on through her life story i love the story of how she's like born if you like um for the greeks how does aphrodite come into the hellenistic world yeah well that's it it's not a it's not a pretty it's not a pretty story i think sometimes when you say the name venus you have this sort of pavlovian response and you imagine this kind of botticelli kind of wafting around and oh my goodness it was much more hardcore than that so the greeks um told the story uh that she was basically born out of a kind of primordial night um and gaia the great earth goddess was eternally joylessly copulating with her husband who was also her son because there was a lot of that that went on in the Greek world. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uranus, the god of the sky. And um, as they were making love, uh, she was constantly getting pregnant and her children were being trapped inside her. And one day, Gaia, the great earth goddess, just decides enough is enough. And she persuades one of her other sons, Kronos, to take up everybody who's kind of um, got male genitalia across your legs when you're listening to this, yeah. to take up <laughs> a serrated flint sickle with which Kronos cuts off his father's penis and testicles and throws them into the sea. And the story goes that when this kind of bloody, frothing spume hits the water, there's this a bit of magic, and out of it suddenly emerges from this really sort of hideous, gory mess what's described in the Greek sources as an awful lovely maiden and that awful lovely maiden is the goddess Aphrodite um, who then steps ashore from the sea and as she walks onto the barren earth grasses and flowers start to grow up um, beneath her feet so she brings um, the, the beauty of nature and fertility to to the earth but again it's a kind of reminder that she is she is absolutely not just a pretty face um, and she's not a fluffy thing it's kind of telling us that sex is dangerous and that uh you know uh that we have to be very careful uh with our passions and and what we do with them i think 
I'm pretty sure every man listening to this has got his legs crossed and his eyes watering <laughs> right now. I love it. As a girl, I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> Might as well get the men squirming. Why not? We need yep. to do it once in a while. But, um, <laughs> they get enough war and man stuff on this podcast. They can listen to some uh, emasculation every now and again. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Let's move on to The Odyssey, which is one of my favourite, favourite of all time books. And we're obviously talking about Aphrodite. And she was married to Hephaestus. But what do we actually learn from the book, from the Odyssey? I mean, one man isn't enough for her, is he? No, um, no. She's quite, you know, as you kind of might expect from the goddess of sex and desire and sexual love, um, she's she's quite keen on lovemaking, Aphrodite. And she is married to Hephaestus, who's a god of volcanoes. Um, he's a blacksmith god. Uh, he has, he's lame. Um, uh, and she decides to have an affair with Ares or Mars in the uh, Roman pantheon, the god of war. And that's no coincidence, because if you think about uh, what we were discussing before about her origins being with these incredible Middle Eastern goddesses who are actually goddesses of war as well as love. It makes sense that that kind of idea stays with the Greeks and so they give her this illicit union um, with Ares and it's a really funny moment it's a very popular myth this um, and the idea is that the gods espy her kind of she's caught in you know flagrante delicto with Ares um, and it's a real sort of peeping Tom moment <laughs> they suddenly all peering in on her, on her making, making love to to the god of war um but I, as i said it's you know it's why i love the myths because they're amazing stories but they're tools to think with you know that they, they sort of teach us how to think about the world and and again i think what that is saying is that um we are we're just sort of pushed to do things you know we i think we all know it's very it's very hard to be good it's very easy to be bad it's very hard to be good and um aphrodite in a sense is the kind of incarnation of that she's she's the goddess of mixes of mixing things up so the fact that she mixes herself up with the with the god of war again as i said it's just a little reminder that when we desire things that could be a good and desire in itself is is good and human ambition is great but we have to be really careful which path that leads us down and if it leads us down on a path that um results in kind of violence and suffering for others then obviously uh we should we should try to resist it but yeah so there's so so aphrodite um has this affair with Aries. She's also very keen on mortals, so um, she she likes she likes um, a mortal man as well. So she has various children who are then half divine, half mortal. I love the deeper meaning to the uh, this like uh, mythology. It's not really not someone just hasn't randomly thought up like a soap opera for these gods, have they? There's so much hidden meaning and depth to them. But tell us about Aphrodite and Adonis. Yeah, so Aphrodite, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting one, this, because this is unrequited love. So Aphrodite falls in love with the, with the beautiful uh, young man, um, Adonis, and is uh, so kind of enraptured with him and, and desperate to have him. Um, and he's out hunting and there's a terrible hunting accident and he dies and his blood comes onto the earth and where it spatters on the earth, these beautiful red anemones grow up and, and Aphrodite is distraught. Um, so it's, again, it's a sort of, it's talking about how we can sometimes fall in love with those that we shouldn't fall in love with or kind of unexpected, uh, unexpected affairs. But really fascinatingly, that also goes back to those early Middle Eastern stories because in that, the, the great goddesses, these great goddesses, Anana, she has an affair with a mortal kind of huntsman shepherd boy called uh, Dumuzi, and, and it's exactly the same story. So it's, again, the Greeks taking a much older myth and, and turning it into, into their own. But, yeah, 
So um, Aphrodite and Adonis, that's a very popular story downtime. And Shakespeare, one of um, Shakespeare's kind of most um, uh, profitable works was was the story of Aphrodite and Adonis. It was very sexy. It's really it's a really interesting fact that when Shakespeare wrote about it, it was so sort of considered so sort of lurid and titillating that hardly any of the original copies of the poem have survived because they were literally so well thumbed. So people just kind of kept on reading them. I love that it wasn't that they uh, just got destroyed because people were prudish. I love that they were just so well used. That they didn't survive. That's good. <laughs> they were literally wor- worn out with avid reading. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm loving all of this. We we definitely, definitely needed something like this uh, to talk about to lift our spirits a little bit. But um, <clears throat> talking about books that we were talking about earlier, the Iliad, which uh, is another really, really, really great book. Um, she had a mo- major role in that, didn't she? She did, yeah. So she, in a way, you could argue that Aphrodite starts the whole Trojan War because um, the story goes um, that there was a great society wedding um, in, in the Greek world and the King Peleus was marrying Thetis, um, the nymph uh, Thetis. It was, a, it was a grand sort of society wedding. And anyone who was anyone was invited, all the aristocrats and kings and queens and gods and goddesses. But somebody had left uh, Eris, the goddess of strife, off the wedding guest list. And if any of you got married, you'll know like wedding guest lists are a nightmare at the best of times. <laughs> but the one person you would not choose to lead off, leave off is the goddess of strife. Um, so furious, she turns up at this wedding anyway. And, and again, this interestingly is the um, beginning of the Sleeping Beauty myth. So she turns up at the door, throws open, uh, throws open the gates and hurls down a golden apple. And on the golden apple are written the words for the fairest. And of course, all the gods and goddesses and, and queens and nobles are there. So it's a really clever little act of destabilization. Mm. And Zeus, the king of the gods, says, I couldn't possibly choose who is the fairest. So he sends um, his messenger uh, Hermes off to Mount Ida in Turkey and Paris Prince Paris the Trojan prince who ends up having the affair with Helen of Troy is uh, given this this choice to make so is it Athena uh, who's given, going to give him great prowess and war is it Hera who's going to the goddess Hera who's going to give him dominion over the earth or is it Aphrodite the goddess of love and we're told that at this time Paris is only a kind of 15 year old boy so Aphrodite loosens her girdle and uh, just whispers to him I have nothing I can give you apart from the most beautiful woman in the world Uh, and Paris as you can imagine decides that uh, that is the gift that he wants so he chooses Aphrodite being a man yeah I know (laughs) as the fairest of the goddesses and then she puts Helen in his path and then Helen and Paris uh, elope together and that causes the Trojan War so in a way it's Aphrodite and her act um, which is which creates uh, the whole of the Iliad story so she's also involved and she's on the side of the Trojans and she she sort of whisks Paris off the battlefield at one point so she's very she's very present there so so for the Greeks you know you've got to remember that they didn't have a separate word for religion for them gods and goddesses and demigods were everywhere and in everything so they would really have thought that there was this this power this potent power uh, that they gave a name and a face to and called aphrodite who controlled affairs who'd, who'd made history who'd made myth and who was still present in their lives she's actually famous for a temper though isn't she and she is yeah she's not 
<laughs> she's not demure at all. Um, <laughs> I'm I glad. Say, I know. I know. Yeah. No. 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 She's um. Well, she's kind of she. If you think about her, she's passion. You know, isn't she? So so uh, she flies off the handle. Uh, she's supposed to be very kind of fiery. She's not a comfortable creature at all. I mean, what I think is really interesting about her downtime is that if you look at her, how she's first represented, she's represented with great respect and with fear. Um, and when people talk about her being beautiful and golden and shimmering and having sh- uh, shimmering breasts, they're not actually sexualizing her. They're talking about her, her, her physical power and her material power and the fact that she is um, in charge of much of the, of the, all the activity of men and animals and nature in the known world so she's hugely hugely respected and then down time it's almost like as you follow her progress you watch the 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 um the process of of women being slowly slowly reduced in power to second class citizens and as that happens aphrodite becomes this naked goddess a, a nude goddess who's a bit of a sort of sexual pin-up um she becomes less potent she becomes just part of the of the pantheon so she's a really really interesting character to follow through time because her story basically is a version of the story of the world i mean tell us so this to me was clearly written by a man, what I'm going to ask you for now, because I, as a total novice, are there shades of Eve in this? And tell us about the story of Pandora. Yeah, well, so Pandora, the first created woman, um, we're told, uh, who really interestingly is called Pandora in some of the um, versions of the of, of Hesiod's story. But in uh, another version, she's simply called, the first created woman is simply called the Kalon Kakon, the beautiful evil thing. So she's evil because she's beautiful. She's beautiful because she's evil and she's both of those because she's female so there's this terrible notion that with the advent of mortal woman um basically the world is stuffed and uh, you know the greeks were really uh, open about this so there's a there's a hideous poem written by a very popular poet called simonides who's from the island of amorgos and simonides writes this this um i mean it's dreadful thing about how you know women some women are like dogs some women are like pigs some women are like foxes you know they sit on a shit pile they interfere um, and then he, there's this awful line he says you know every a sensible man keeps his uh, wife quiet by knocking her teeth out with a with a stone you know and the women were sent to play nice. i know really nice but, i mean it's really you know you can't get away from that terrible terrible misogyny and and as you say, it's really interesting Aphrodite's role in that because she becomes demonised as well. And there's this notion that rather than sex being a, a beautiful and a potent thing to be worshipped and adored, it's a dangerous thing that diverts men from their kind of pro- proper course of building civilizations and running armies. Um, uh, it weakens them. Um, and uh, sex is a bad thing and it's a woman's fault. So before we even get a kind of Judeo-Christian idea of womanhood in that way, you definitely find those hints in the Aphrodite story. Ugh. I know, yeah. shame, isn't it? I always <laughs> think people kind of talk about why things are unequal. I always think, well, you know, we've got like three and a half thousand years of, of total inequality. So uh, it's not, it's no surprise. There's quite a lot of catching up to do, but in a weird way, I sometimes think that's almost helpful because it shows 
that we are changing you know that we've got this terrible backstory of of inequity uh, and of it just being part and parcel of life for three and a half thousand years so yeah. actually the changes that we, we should be really celebrating all those changes that are happening absolutely hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Let's talk, <clears throat> sorry, let's talk about um, worship. Uh, yeah. How do people worship her in ancient Greece and what favour did they expect to gain from her? Yeah, so she was very present in ancient Greece. If you think of Athens and the Acropolis rock, you know, the famous Parthenon uh, on the top of the Acropolis in Athens, probably one of the most famous um, uh, monuments from the whole of antiquity. That whole rock was sacred to Aphrodite. So it was the goddess Aphrodite's rock. And if you go today, you can walk around it if we're allowed back out of lockdown Um, and you can actually see there are niches carved into the rock where Aphrodite was honoured and worshipped really sweetly today people still go and leave little pomegranates um, in her honour there but she was really she was very present she was a great considered a great patroness of cities and I think this is really relevant and really important she she was thought to be a patroness of cities like Athens uh, like uh, what became Constantinople um, in what's modern day Turkey because she was as we said before she was this kind of goddess of mixes of mixing things up so there's this idea that when you get a lot of people living together human relationships are hard at the best of times but you have a city full of humans it's going to be really hard so you need a goddess who's keeping an eye on those relationships and encouraging people to find ways to live together through compassion and understanding so for instance in uh, democratic Athens she was worshipped as Aphrodite Harmonia and Harmonia so Aphrodite of union and harmony so so she was she was very actively worshipped not just to to in terms of of like sexual relationships but in terms of human relationships and the idea that she provided almost this kind of cosmic glue that allowed society to stick together moving on to Venus because obviously you associate Aphrodite, then you think of Venus. She's just the Roman adaptation of of Aphrodite, isn't she? She is. Yeah, she is. So Venus basically, well, it's a kind of, it's a bit of a union again. So the Roman, in the Roman territories, they have this kind of early fertility goddess um, who's called Venus. 
and really interestingly the word venus comes from the um like proto-indo-european root of vanas desire so it means exactly the same thing as aphrodite um so they have that this this fertility goddess and they kind of meld her together with aphrodite as they take over greek territories and territories in north africa and then so aphrodite sort of pretty much becomes becomes venus and she's hugely important to the romans the romans love her they think of her as the kind of mother of the roman nation because she gives birth to aeneas to the trojan hero aeneas and Aeneas then eventually his dynasty goes on uh, to give birth to the Julians and Romulus and Remus who found Rome so so in their heads she was their like kind of super powered supernatural godmother literally um, godmother of the Roman state and again they remember that she was a goddess of war as well as love so uh, generals like Julius Caesar used to have a he used, used to wear a ring with an image of Venus on she gets, gets her temples set up in the forum and great Roman generals will go and um, worship her and make sacrifice to her before they go into battle. So she's really important to the Romans. How Romans use her adapts over time, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. So um, so she starts off, as I said, as this kind of goddess of um, uh, war and love. And increasingly you see her represented armed but in in roman sculptures so she's often naked but with a helmet and a and a spear um and again she becomes something uh that they they kind of recognize she's very useful for cities so she's often the patroness of cities again that thing of kind of keeping people um mixed up and mixed together um and women really love her so cleopatra you know very caught up in the roman world dresses herself as aphrodite she kind of wears literally like a like a kind of golden red hairpiece so she looks like aphrodite and she wears aphrodite's golden sandals so uh, yeah, so she's very present in the Roman world. Um, and she's slightly, though, once you get the Roman Empire, Augustus, again, it sort of slightly becomes, she, she almost sort of, it's almost as if she's got that a bit of a dirty secret feel about her. So rather than her image being everywhere, often it gets tucked away into bathrooms and private rooms. And it's that idea of the sort of illicit nature of, of some sex. So you almost see the beginning of kind of modern ideas uh, right the way back in the Roman period. How does she appear in Roman mythology? So she's there. I mean, you know, Venus is one of their favourite characters. So she turns up. Uh, Venus and Adonis, they love that story. Um, she appears really interestingly in the Roman period. Again, it's a Greek town um, uh, that's called Aphrodisias. But I think it's fascinating that she... Uh, so Aphrodisias as it sounds, is a whole town that's dedicated to Aphrodite. She's, she's very uh, much adored and honoured there. Um, but she went in, in Aphrodisias, there's a guy called Caraton who sort of invents the novel. So he starts to write these kind of romantic love stories featuring Aphrodite. And basically it's how all popular fiction is born. So she's, she's very responsible um, for inspiring a lot of, a lot of art and ideas of romantic love. And that carries right the way down to the um, troubadour time. So uh, uh, particularly troubadours who are returning from the Crusades, who kind of picked up on those Eastern traditions. Uh, they will write these love songs about Aphrodite and about Venus and about unrequited love, like Venus's love for Adonis. And those uh, songs and forms of words 
directly relate to our pop songs today. So, it, so she's sort of responsible for the for the novel and and for um, every pop song. I've literally just song. made. The I might connection. be stretching it a bit there to say every pop song. <laughs> <laughs> I've literally just made the connection to the word aphrodisiac. Yeah, aphrodisiac. Quite slow on the uptake. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. If we think of yeah, aphrodisiacs, that's all to do with Aphrodite. Uh, venereal disease is the disease of Venus. So let's hope. <laughs> I see a lot of that Lovely. in the First World War. Um, yeah, I'm sure. I'm talk, sure. Talk to us about festivals. The Romans go all out to pay tribute, mass tribute to Venus, don't they? And are they expecting the same thing as the Greeks? It's slightly different, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, she's a, she becomes a kind of um, goddess of the streets as well. And what's interesting is that she's very much um, in the Greek world. There are priests of Aphrodite, and actually, really interestingly, some of the priests of Aphrodite in the Greek world are actually um, uh, kind of show female characteristics as well. So the sculptures of them—they're very definitely men with beards, but they have breasts. And even some of the figurines of Aphrodite from that early Greek world, from Cyprus, for instance, it's a beautiful set of figurines of her and a, and a kind of wafty kite on. Again, she's got breasts, but she's got a beard. So, so uh, it's playing on that idea that we are neither just male nor female, that we're very um, uh, mixed up, which, which is a very kind of ancient prehistoric idea with the goddess Aphrodite as well, that she allows us to be both male and female. Is that but, the connection as well between... Uh... Home, like homoerotic love like men the way men loved each other isn't necessarily the way we think of it when we think of two men being in love with each other yeah it was you've got to completely take off your kind of 21st century head basically mm. and imagine the world i mean i think you know it's it's what i love about ancient ancient history is nine times out of ten they got there first you know we always imagine that we're kind of pioneering and we suddenly become you know much more sensitive and open-minded and and the the ancients absolutely explore that idea of gender fluidity um and uh the, the possibilities of being transgender and they they, they uh, lionize it and and absolutely encapsulate that in the worship of aphrodite so i mean, but right the way back to inanna so i was the middle eastern kind of great grandmother of aphrodite uh one of the great um, hymns and of praise to her says that she turns a woman into a man and a man into a woman um and when she was worshipped Male priests would dress as women, female priestesses would dress as men, with the idea that she was a goddess who had both male and female in her and that you should find the male and female in yourself. So, I mean, really, 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 really fascinating. So, yes, so it, it is, it is those, their ideas of sexuality, um, were very different, but very modern in, in some ways. Um, but with the Roman world, um, as, as often happens, she tends to be taken over by male priests. So, so mm. her worship and adoration is sort of becomes part of that kind of structure of, of empire, which is very male dominated. If I'm not wrong, Venus is, uh, well, she's hugely represented in post classical art. For example, the painting, The Birth of Venus. Am yeah. I right? You are. Venus de Milo as well. Venus de Milo, exactly. All of it. She's, she's, if you think about it, you know what? Almost every image of a naked woman that you probably kind of imagine is a woman. If you actually look at it, it's usually a representation of Venus in kind of for about 700 years. So she kind of gives this brilliant license to artists to say, look, you can have um, a very titillating image of a, of a naked woman. 
but we'll call it a goddess so it makes it okay and access uh, 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 sort of um, acceptable and also what's what's really important is that often the models for those goddess figures were prostitutes and um sex workers and call girls so they're the kind of um and, and these were actually they were called prostitutes of the of that time more often called venuses so it was a venus was a kind of slang name uh for a sex worker so it's really fascinating so she's there she's very present in loads of slicks of oil on paint um on the great canvases you know um the rokeby venus in the national gallery very famous sort of back view of venus um as i said if many many paintings that we think are just actually women they are of the of the goddess because it's sort of somehow as i said it kind of gave you an excuse to put a lot of female flesh on show and people weren't just saying that you were being um objectifying (laughs) (laughs) you're just being very mythological yeah uh, very cultural um so just let's finish off then how has uh aphrodite and and venus been remembered in the modern world they're still culturally important to some groups aren't they yeah i mean there'll be some people who'll be listening to this podcast who are goddess worshippers who thinks that she is absolutely kind of with us today um she's there you know if you, she turns up a lot in all you know anything from banana rama to kylie minogue to lady gaga uh, they talk about um aphrodite and venus in their lyrics she's there in on valentine's day the rose was the one of the flowers of venus and that's why we give red roses on valentine's day so she's she is absolutely present i mean i think controversially i think some aspects of the virgin mary actually taken from aphrodite so the fact that she has a dove and a and a, and a girdle and kind of mm. nurtures jesus that's those are all very um venus aphrodite-esque images but i think in a bigger way, she's with us still um, because really why she was invented, as I said, was to to try to work out how we negotiate human relationships and what we do with desire for good and for bad. But more than that, how we lived this brilliant, crazy, mixed up life that humans live, where we choose to live together in groups, either great or small. And that is her great gift to the world, is that she helps us understand that we no woman or man is an island that we have others around us and it's incredibly important to invest in those relationships and to work out a way that we can live together and love one another and that is the only way that civilization itself can survive so she she is with us and i think ever more importantly now you know when we hear of how people are dealing with corona don't we don't they all say they use that word love that that's Mm. that's what's got people through and that's what's made people do the incredible acts of heroism um on the front line um and we do it because of love so so uh she's definitely not irrelevant she's definitely definitely a, a goddess for our age Oh, thank you so much for coming on and cheering us up today because we do some depressing stuff on this podcast. (laughs) And it's just nice to have like a nice chat about something nice like love. Yes. And it's not pointless and irrelevant. You've just told us exactly why it's not. So um, just tell everybody, you did a book about Venus and Aphrodite, didn't you? I, I did. Yes, I did. I did. So, uh, yeah, Venus and Aphrodite. Um, so I've done the sort of history of the goddess, looking at her, her life story through time, going right the way back to prehistory up until today. And she's immortal, of course. So she just carries on. So she'll have a future as well. Yeah. But yeah so, it so, means you can do a sequel. 
I can do a sequel. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So it's a little, I usually write these massive books that are basically kind of, you know, you can use to kill burglars with as well. But this yeah. one is a, a very slim, it's a very, it's a very slim little, um, it's a love letter to Aphrodite, really. I wouldn't trade in my burglar killing copy of Istanbul for anyone. <laughs> I have to get you back on to talk about that. Sometimes I had to cancel a trip to Istanbul because of coronavirus. I feel Aww. very sorry for myself. I've never been so completely self-indulgently. I would love you to come and talk to us about that. But when is Odyssey on? So, so honestly, we're just cutting. We're doing the final, final, final touches to the final program, um, and I hope it will be out in May. So, we're finishing it off now. So, it's yeah, it's a six-part series, sort of uh, very loosely following the trail of Odysseus and and exploring the Greek islands and and doing a doing a modern day Odyssey. Yeah, so it was um, it was a lot of fun. We filmed that the last day of filming was the was the day before lockdown started in Europe. So we got. We, we finished it by the skin of our teeth, but we just, just managed it. I bet your face lit up when you saw the locations for that, though. Oh, um, so amazing. We had to pinch ourselves a lot, me and my lovely cameraman who I work with, go like, this really is a holiday. <laughs> <laughs> I just get, <laughs> like, sweaty libraries. I spend my life in the Interplanetary Society in a rather musty-smelling library with bits <sighs> of space debris on the wall is where we do most of my stuff. Nice. Uh, so I'm jealous. Yes, there we are. Well, we are. I, I had to take one for the team, you know. Some somebody's yeah. got to do that. A gene, obviously. Yeah, it's my fault for not picking classical history. But yeah, I'm definitely going to have to download this like totally illegally from Poland because obviously I'm not in the UK, so I won't be able to watch it on TV. So download oh. button, it goes. Oh yeah, we'll try. We'll try and make sure it goes to Poland. Let me try and work on that. I'll try and get out on Viasat there. Or I don't know if I can wait that long. I'm afraid <laughs> I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to illegally start doing it in, in, on the internet. So, or I will Zoom call you with the video while it's on. Yeah. You can watch the <laughs> TV on yeah, Zoom. Enjoy. Very <laughs> kind of you. Thanks for that. But thank you so much again, Bethany. It was amazing having you on our show. Um, and sorry for a bit of fangirling, but there we are. Total <laughs> pleasure. Put a smile on my face. So no, no, lovely to chat to you. And we'll we'll catch up again to talk about Istanbul, maybe. Brilliant. Amazing. Thank you so okay. much. Join us tomorrow for our Hornblower reunion. We are so excited to share it with you. We had an absolute blast sitting down with Yoan Griffith and Jamie Bamber to talk all about the series and their careers. Um, and we asked all your questions about whether or not there will be any new episodes of Hornblower as well. So tune in for that. Um, don't forget, if you would like to become a patron of uh, History Hack and help us keep going after the end of this COVID-19 crisis, you can do so at uh, historyhack.podbean.com. Um, it's much appreciated. There now follows a public service announcement. I'm Horatia Hornblower. And I'm Archie Kennedy. The simplest gift you can give in these troubled times is to obey orders. Indeed. The regulations are very clear in the matter. It is the duty of all of us to remain at anchor until the little people in the talking box signal you otherwise. You don't want to end up getting flogged. Good day to you. Good day to you both. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. 